You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Primarily like wetlands because they're a fishing cat, right? So they like to be in water. They, they, they hunt in water. So marshes and swamps or these uh, mangroves. What can they teach us? Yeah, the fact that they're using their whiskers or potentially using their whiskers in water to, to help figure out if there's fish in there or how close they are. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. I, why are you playing bush dog sounds before the fishing cat episode? <laughs> well, I was going to ask, is it a dog or is it a cat? That was, that was my the, opening. Those yeah. are the bush dogs, right? We just did them. Mm-hmm. No. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. So fun. Yes. These fishing cats are really going to surprise us. They are myth-busting cats. First mm-hmm, of all, mm-hmm. they sound like dogs and they swim like, I don't know, we did anacondas last yeah. week. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely not like your house cat. Most house cats typically don't love water. Mm-hmm. Some do. I've seen some funny TikTok videos where a few house cats love water. But in general, uh, this is a cat that loves water and mm-hmm. And it's very well adapted to spend lots of time in the water, hunting, swimming. So, yes, full uh, of lots of surprises today. That, that, I, I still can't believe that was a fishing cat. I'm like, that's a bush dog. I mean, we just did him a few weeks ago. But, no, this, yeah, this is the first real small cat. I mean, the last mm-hmm. cat we did was Snow Leopard, you know, a few few months back. Mm-hmm. And then we did Lynx right before that. So, I mean, that was a smaller cat compared to... The big ones. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. The fishing cat is considered one of the larger, or the largest, I think, of the mm-hmm. lesser cats, or mm-hmm. the small mm-hmm. cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, Medium-sized, so, uh, but packs a powerful uh, vocalization and just... <laughs> yes, it does. And, well, I mean, some of the things about them, too, and, and, and it's fun because we actually have them here at the zoo here, at Mr. Jesse's you Zoo. You Yes, yes, yes. Uh- Oh, wow, you're gonna have to yeah. send some videos, put them up on uh, Instagram because not a lot of zoos have them. No, no, we do. It's at Mr. Jesse's Zoo here in New Zealand. At you know, that's what my sons call it because it's Jesse. I was gonna have Jesse come on, but he doesn't have any uh, fun fishing cat stories to tell. But you know, that's they- funny. I asked my husband John. I'm like, you, I don't think you were with fishing cats, did you? And he's like, No. And I'm like, Ah. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah, because they're just they're not allowed zoos, so we'll, no, yeah, well, we'll and to... they're well, they're endangered, you know, critically, mm-hmm. not critically endangered, but they're endangered with only three thousand left, you know, and and they're extinct across much of its range. So, I, you know, I think since over in here in our part of the world, you know, that's probably why we have them, you know, as an emergency population for those wild populations. Well, Chris, and I believe at the last reporting I have in 2016, it looks like uh, populations are trending downwards as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get, when we talk about conservation, there's a lot. Their range was massive across Asia. Sure, right. And that's what I was reading too. Like in certain areas, they think that they're vulnerable. In other areas, like in Nepal, they know they're endangered. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe between 100, 150 
yeah. cats at most. So, but yes, with such a wide uh, range where they live and the numbers dwindling, it's, it's mm-hmm. uh, not a great sign. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it'll be a very good podcast, fun to talk about cats. Before we get rolling, I just want to say thank you to our Patreon supporters. It means so much to Angie and I. Again, you know, a cup of coffee a month helps us out and supports conservation. So thank you so much for that. You know, we've got some really incredible interviews up and coming. So we really want to support these these researchers out in the field and these organizations fighting for these animals. So you're part of that story too. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And another way you can support us is sharing this episode, uh, telling a friend about us, uh, uh, following us on Facebook or social media like Instagram. And we always appreciate five-star reviews on iTunes and some written words of how great we are and or uh, just uh, requesting species. So let us know what you would like to hear more of. Yes, yes. And thank you for the emails. Keep them coming, please. Now, jumping into description, I mean... I guess to, to put this in people's minds, think of a house cat, double it in size. We'll get to the size in a minute, but it, it looks kind of like a house cat too. It does. Yeah. With the, the kind of a house cat that would have more of like the tiger pattern, I mm-hmm, suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's a beautiful cat. I, 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 I'm not going to be able to do it justice, but just in general, uh, the fishing cat is built with shorter limbs and a stocky body and a deep chest uh, that make it almost look like a larger cat when it's like sitting there. Uh, and it has is long. Their neck is a little bit long, but the head is very rounded. It, it, I just kept thinking of a big cat. Like they mm-hmm. have a very uh, impressive head, I suppose, if you will, and beautiful amber eyes and a pink nose with nice whiskers. Small rounded ears, which comes in handy when you're swimming and you want to flatten them down. And their coat pattern is just stunning. I mean, they are basically like olive brown in color as their base. And from the fishing cat's like face, like above their eyes, they have very distinct, distinct stripes that are black that run basically along their top line. And then they have spots throughout the side of their body and on their paws and yeah. So definitely a a, a stripes and spots. They've got a little bit of something for everything. And one of my favorite parts is that they have uh, besides an adorable pink nose, they do have white around their muzzle a little bit and then white high points on their cheek. And then on the backside of their ears, they have like white spots too. So when their ears are forward and you can see them, it's just darling. Uh, And the fishing cat's tail is much shorter than your domestic house cats, and we'll talk about that when we get to f- swimming and fishing uh, adaptations. Uh, so, just a really good-looking, beautiful cat. Yeah, they, they are, they are, they are. I, and, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. not doing them justice. It's like ah, it's like yeah, they're beautiful. They are, um, they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's you know. The, they they look like a gray tabby almost to an extent, but you're right. Sure. It's it's just such a unique looking looking animal, and so the size is like double a house cat. I mean, body body lengths upwards of thirty four inches or nearly a meter. That tail, like you said, is stubby, so it only gets eight to twelve inches long or twenty to thirty centimeters. Weigh anywhere from thirteen to twenty six pounds or six to twelve kilograms. 
But you do have that sexual dimorphism again, where the this time, when we say anacondas last week, the females were massive. <laughs> Jeez. You got to right. listen to that episode. Oh, my God. We talk about her eating the males. <laughs> God. But, you know, it, it's reverse here, where the male fishing cats are, are much bigger than the, uh, the females, you know, almost twice as big sometimes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, when you talk about range, Angie, we talked about this massive range, but they're isolated. It's heavily fragmented. I mean, you, you you talk about the peninsula part of India, going down into Malaysia, Thailand, Java. So you have some down there, in, like near Indonesia, up in Pakistan, and then Sri Lanka. But they're like refuge populations almost. You know, they're not connected. They're They're hundreds of miles or kilometers away from each other. It's just this heavily fragmented uh, range, and it's just—I think—that is part of the reason they're they're in so much trouble, you know, conservation-wise. Right. Yes. And then not only is their range fragmented, but then they're competing with all the other issues that animals are, as far as uh, deforestation and uh, their wetlands, their their home, the area they like to be in, is being more and more urbanized because there's more and more people. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, tough to be a fishing cat out there right now. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, because they, they primarily like wetlands because they're a fishing mm-hmm. cat, right? So they like to be in water. They, they, they hunt in water. So marshes and swamps or these uh, mangroves all are being, like you said, uh, removed and plowed down and cleared. So that is really, uh, you know, hurting them. But they, you know, they also they they do find them in, in forested regions near uh, rivers and urban jungles. They've actually seen fishing cats as high in the Himalayas as high as five thousand feet. Wow, so fifteen hundred meters. Yeah. So yeah. when we talk about their nutrition, I mean, they they do some fishing fun fun fishing behaviors. But yeah, I mean, they're they're a generalist. Like they they can uh, they can mix it up. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, really wide range. I mean, considering, you know, from down in Thailand up into the Himalayas in, in Pakistan, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But it, I, I mean, it's hard, not hard to talk about the importance of a predator in an ecosystem. You know, we, if you've listened to this podcast, um, you know, when you, when you remove these predators, it, it does harm the ecosystem. The ecosystem does change. We know that we're seeing that across a lot of different taxa across the world. But I mean, this is such a specific niche for a predator. Oh, absolutely. And I think that as a generalist, like, yes, they do feed on fish and fish populations. uh, But where most of their range, they are like an apex predator. Uh, And so with that being said, you pull that out and then there could be an overpopulation of rodents or even certain fish and then diseases and things like this. And so there needs to be more research on their exact role in the ecosystems where they live. Cause as you mentioned, they, they do live in different niches, depending on if it's in the Himalayas or in, in, in uh, Southern India, but in the places where they do live, they've evolved there and they've involved in that role to be the big man on campus mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. And they've, they've done it for a millennia and they're doing it well. And so you take that, that cat, that predator out of the food web and, there can be food web crashes. That's for sure. So yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I think that there's so much we 
more we need to know about fishing cats. And we'll talk about this when we get to behavior, but since they are a nocturnal cat and they're pretty elusive, uh, we're still learning about them and their role and their behavior. But what has been shown is fishing cats are amazing, uh, kind of like ambassador animal. Uh, people love them. People want to learn more about them because they are so unique, like a cat that swims, a cat that hunts fish. Uh, and so depending on which region they're in, they're usually pretty well loved. Um, and in fact, interestingly enough, the fishing cat is the state animal of West Bengal. But in some regions where they live, there are there is sometimes uh, a human fishing cat conflict because it's thought that fishing cats will sometimes consume livestock, or if it's like a, a fishing nursery type thing, they'll sometimes. And this is I was watching a video about this in uh, West Bengal that the fishing cats were sometimes coming to these uh, fish breeding holes and yeah, helping themselves out a little bit. Uh, but there was this huge campaign and instead of killing the, uh, the fishing cats, let's support, like, let's support them and revel in them. There's not a lot of them. If we lose a fish here or there, it's okay. Like they yeah. they are not, they are not a problem. They are not causing like huge losses to our livelihood. Right, in right. fact, let's look at what they could bring. Like these is a very, awesome cat. Uh, it's not found in many places of the world and it's so unique. So let, let's focus on that and what they, they bring to the, to the table and not what they sometimes take away. So I thought uh, we can put that video on our show notes. I thought that was a really interesting uh, spin. And uh, you know, this is a movement done by the locals of West Bengal and celebrating this their state animal and getting people to get uh, to, to be on board. Yeah. 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 We need to do that throughout their range. So this week, Angie, because we were we were focusing on the fishing cat in this part of Asia, and you know, obviously we've talked a lot about palm oil and all of that stuff. I, I really wanted to focus in on on India, and you know, I know we have we have listeners there, so hello, <laughs> thank you for listening. Yes. But we really want to focus more on your country because it, it, India is so rich in wildlife. So I want to play a little quick game with you. Ooh, I love games. So I have the 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 Earth's top ten most biodiverse countries. Okay, so if you had to guess, what are some of the top ten biodiverse countries with the most biodiversity in them? So obviously, some of it's going to be size will dictate some mm -hmm. of that, mm -hmm. right? Because the larger country is, the more species it will have in there. But I wanted to see if you can guess what number one was. Brazil. Yeah, by far. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, they have, here we go. Here's the statistics. Almost 18% of the world's birds, almost 14% of the world's amphibians, 12% of the world's mammals, 8% of the world's reptiles, close to 14% of the world's fish, and almost 13% of the world's species of trees. So very rich in biodiversity. Now, I don't know mm -hmm. if you can guess number two. Well, I'm going to stick around the equator because that's always usually a rich area. All right. There you go. Good scientist. There you go. Uh, that's good. That's good. But looking for like that massive land around the equator um, is going to either might be above Australia, so Indonesia, I, or... Oh, that was number two. <laughs> Yes, yes. Because I, well, I was trying to think like of an African country that's around yeah. the equator, but that I, I feel like it's just more dry there. So I, uh, 
the uh, well, like okay. I have the top Cameroon thirteen. Or no, I, t- I have any, the top any thirteen. In Africa? Yeah, top thir- the thirteenth country is. Um, okay. you, you've been there. Oh, Zambia. No, no, no. Uh, Tanzania. No, it's the Disneyland Kenya. of Disneyland. Oh, South Africa. <laughs> you just keep going and go through all of them. Yeah, South Africa's 13th. I know. Before. I sound like a bragger. Like, oh, my list is so long. Hold on a second. <laughs> I've been to Egypt and that's it. But um, even then, that's bragging. Yeah, South Africa. So if you go down to 13th, South Africa has seven, 8% of the birds, only 2% of rep, or amphibians, uh, only 5% of... But All so species. many antelopes. That's yes. what I care about. <laughs> Five species of so mammals. So many bovids. Yeah. Yeah. Four species of reptiles, uh, six species of fish, and 8%. All the species of plants. So yeah, Indonesia was two, and then Colombia was three. So that's surprising. Not as oh, massive, okay. but very rich in biodiversity. So our friend, which Anna, I have not been, and my dear friend Anna, Anna, yeah, me. Mm-hmm. we need to go with Anna. Oh, I want to go with her to, there. Uh, China was fourth. Okay, I was going to guess that. Just, yeah. That one was based more on size. Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of biodiversity. Peru, so a lot in South America. Mm-hmm. Then Mexico, then Australia. So our Aussies rank seventh, Ecuador. So South America is so rich in biodiversity. And that's why it's like we're really, not only we go back there a lot, but that's why the, the rainforest, the Amazon is just so important. India was ninth, US was 10th. So India's up there. I mean, mm-hmm. large country in Asia, but you know, not in the, the top five. I mean, a lot of them are in South America. So I, I started looking at like, oh, India was, was was so rich in biodiversity and of their endangered species, they have 70, over 70 critically endangered animals, uh, over 60 critically endangered plants, and they have over three, overall 300 plus animals uh, that are classified as endangered or higher and 140 plants that are classified as endangered or higher. So some animals on this list we may want to cover. So they're the critically endangered list, 10 mammals. So things like the pygmy hog is number one. Then they have three different types of shrews, then a rat, then a rat, then a flying squirrel. Then the Malabar civet. I know you wanted to do civets, which maybe that might be our next cat. And then two of your favorites, the Sumatran and Javan rhinos that uh, are no longer there, I don't think. I don't know if the Sumatrans are there anymore in India. But uh, endangered birds, uh, over fi- they have 15 ind- critically endangered birds. The one I really am interested in is, is the great Indian bustard. So we may have to do that one. But mm-hmm. yeah, the Siberian crane, oh, so many fun ones. White, black, white-backed vulture, red-headed vulture. Those are always fun. The the, the herons, the Indian vulture, Himalayan quail. Here's one that we need to do. Critically endangered reptiles, the gharial. You've mentioned okay. that before, that slender snout crocodilian. Yes. Am I saying it right? Gar- I don't know. Gharial? Uh, either gar- <laughs> People are probably laughing at us. All of our, <laughs> all of our herp friends are like, yeah. come on, Chris and Nancy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's either gharial or gharial. Gharial, G H. So G H G R I A G H A R I A L. Gharial. I thought it was Gharial, but I don't know. 
We'll we'll pronounce it right when we do them, but we've got to do them. <laughs> They're really promise, cool. Yeah. They're really those the slender nose crocodilians, and, and then you have your sea turtles, your hawksbill, your leatherback. Then they have a couple of river um, turtles, and then a gecko. Uh, nearly twenty or nineteen critically endangered amphibians, a bunch of frogs and toads, uh, some fish, the gangi shark. That was one came up when I was doing bull shark research. Sure, uh, fresh, the fresh water. Yeah. And then fire corals. They sound so cool. Hmm. So, so yeah. So I just wanted to pop that in there because I think we're, we're definitely going to return to India and uh, kind of do a deeper dive into what they're doing. But this came up before I jump into evolution. I found very fascinating in, in India's efforts to rewild. Right. That was something we talked about last week. And since we are on the topics of cats, India is reintroducing cheetahs back into their their extinct environment. So cheetahs went extinct in India 70 years ago in 1952. So this was the 70th anniversary. So they brought eight cheetahs to Jaipur in Rajasthan from Nambia, Namibia, Namibia in Africa. And they're doing this called Project Cheetah. And it's the first intercontinental large wild carnivore translocation nice. project. Mm-hmm. So it brought me back to our episode 267, where I talked to Dan Cabela about the 12 Cheetah project, where they were taking cheetahs from South Africa to Mozambique. Now they're taking cheetah from Africa into India where they used to range. So they, 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 they were hunted and driven to extinction there. So what the Indian government recognizes and their conservation people there is like we talked about in fishing cats, these cats are so, these predators are so critical to their ecosystem. So the, according, this is a quote, straight quote. According to the government, cheetahs will help in the restoration of open forest and grassland ecosystems in India. And this will help conserve biodiversity and enhance the ecosystem services like water security, carbon sequestration, soil mo- moisture conservation, and it's going to benefit India at large, end quote. I so, love that. Yeah. 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 I thought it was really cool that they were doing this now from Africa to Asia. So just to to, to give, you know, even though the list in India of the endangered species doesn't make you feel good, realize that India does recognize that we've, we've, we've talked to experts. We're actually got some experts lined up. Can't tell you who yet, but we do have some, some researchers in that part of the world that, Uh, we're in conversations with to get on the podcast very soon by the end of the year. So there is a lot of conservation going on there. And and so it was good to read that. And I felt really good about India. And I really want to grow our audience in India, obviously. So please, if, if, if you're listening to this in India, please share this episode. Fishing cats are in your backyards or parts of your country and they need your help. And like the cheetah, the tigers, the tigers is a great story in India. They're doing really well there. So thank you for those that are working so hard there on, on what you're doing. 
Well, yes, Chris, I've been uh, trying to get you to go to India to do the dole or the whistling dog for a while now. So. <laughs> you have, you have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, there's, will... I, but there's a lot. I mean, that list, the list that you read from India is great. We should definitely highlight more species from there for sure. Yeah, I know. And we did do bush dogs. So bush dogs kind of took, took, I think because the bush dogs are just so unique. I didn't even think those things were real. It's like, uh, but yeah, the dole is on the list. It's, we will, the next canid we probably do will be the dole. Um, all right. So before we jump into evolution, I think we should just take a quick break. All right. Welcome back. Now, jumping into evolution, we've done tons of cats. You know, the carnivores, close to 280 species. Ooh, do you know how many species of cats there are? Yeah, 114. Uh, <laughs> it's right I, in front I of me. I thought there was 37. <laughs> well, okay, no, okay. No, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. Well, 41, Felidae. Okay. Suborder Filiformia, cat-like carnivores, there's 114 mm. species. That might include one of those most obscure ones that I always ask you every time we do a cat. Somebody in there, they're listening. They're like, they know exactly what species I'm talking about. And they're screaming at their cars or their radios or their cell phones. Oh, hyena? Yes. You look at that. Uh, yes. There you go. I, <laughs> no. I know. No, oh, no. I, I'm, I, uh, I'm drinking you my remember. green tea. I have this new okay. green tea. It's like local from Florida. Ooh. That is something special. Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, good, 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 so good. So quiz good. away tonight. All right, good. I have some more stuff in the future. Um, yeah, so the, that includes hyena and stuff like that. Felidae, roughly 41 species. Okay. Okay. So, that's where, yeah, um, that's the family. Yeah, that's where you're coming from. And then the subfamily Felinae is, the, is from the Felidae. And these are the small cats that have the bony hyoid. Which they're able to purr, but not roar. You're ready. Okay, you're ready. So which two cats? I see you, you know, you're you're, you're eagerly waiting this question. Which two larger cats belong to the subfamily Felinae that can purr? Oh, well, I think we have got to back up the bus a little bit on oh, okay. the big cat versus small cat. Well, I, I'm gonna go there, but I'm oh, just okay. I'm okay. asking okay. you large well, cats yes, so... that purr. Mm-hmm. So the big cats that do not purr uh, yeah. because they basically have a flexible hyoid bone. And the hyoid bone is this bone that sits uh, in the back of an animal's throat. Us humans have it as well. It's what our tongue connects to. So we don't, our tongues just don't flop all over the place. But the flexible hyoid bone in the big cat, in the big cats basically makes them roar on their exhale. Yes. Whereas these smaller cats or these lesser cats, uh, which of course the fishing cat fits into, uh, have a stiff hyoid bone. Mm -hmm. And so when they blow air in and out, it makes a vibrating sound. It's good, 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 good. mm -hmm, And so with the big cats, I have in my notes that big cats include tigers, lions, leopards, and jags. Okay, so they roar. They can't so purr. They, mm-hmm. Uh, well, then we all know that uh, tigers chuff. <laughs> so it's a little different than a purr, but it's an amazing vote. If you get a tiger to chuff at you, you're like, life is I complete. know, it's the best. It's the best. Uh, so I've never had it before, but yeah. I know many people who have. And so someday, maybe if I'm lucky enough, it'll happen for me. Um, and so you're at, the question was... Uh, the two cats- big cats that can mm-hmm. purr that are part of this Felinae subfamily. Okay, so it's going to have to be the cheetah. Yes. 
is <laughs> one fast. of them. And the next one, I'm talking slow so I can think. Uh, Close come on, green tea. to you. Uh, oh, the panther. Yeah. Yeah. The okay. puma. Yeah. yeah puma okay. panther. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Now, the question, next question is, let's see green tea. Do <laughs> the clouded leopards purr? Do you remember? Remember we had to go to Joe. Ooh. Joe. Mm. John. Do clouded leopards purr? I do not remember, uh, so I'm going to have to go with a taking a guess. And since I have the leopards in general in the not purring category, I will say they don't purr. Okay, good. There you go. Green tea. Yeah, they don't. Remember, we, there was this whole thing. We had to go. You had to go talk to John. Oh, you ever I heard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And clouded leopards, they have that flexible hyoid bone that, bone that you explained so well. So, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love this podcast. I love playing this game. <laughs> Everybody who listening, thank you for listening. <laughs> we do got to do pumas too. That's on our list. That's one of the cats that we will do. Uh, it's on there. It's you know we got to save some of the big ones. We for haven't next done year. the Florida Panther yet. No, no, no. We will. Okay. We will next within the year. We will. We will. We will. Or uh, any panther or puma. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. 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 We will. We will. All right. So the the fishing cat genus is Prion elerus. These are the spotted wild cats of Asia. These are cute. Well, I learned a lot. I didn't. Yeah. I, I've always known of the fishing cat and loved loved them from afar. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, basically, because my mentor, Dr. Rachel uh, Santemeyer, she studied them and worked on uh, their reproductive physiology and understanding more about their basic biology and classifying it mm-hmm. for a lot of her uh, graduate work. So there's still a cat that she, I think, does some research on. But I had never heard of the leopard cat or the flat-headed cat. I, the flat-headed I have. The leopard cat I have. I have that little tiny one. But yeah, the flat-headed cat I never knew existed. And I had heard of the rusty-spotted cat. I feel like I saw them at a zoo somewhere. But okay. all four of those in that family, yeah. I'll let you say it, Prionellarius. Prionellarius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah, yeah. You're doing good tonight. You're on fire. Yeah, after four um, years. <laughs> exactly. I must have saw uh, the leopard cat at a zoo. Maybe that's where it was. I think I, so. Yeah. And then the uh, but all these are very rare at zoos and, mm-hmm. and definitely mm-hmm. not in the spotlight like the bigger, flashier big cats. Yeah. Big cats. Yeah. Or even some other small cats that I feel like you see more frequently either at a zoo or they get a little bit more of the of more of the headlines. Well, there was it was a tough debate this week because the the other one that's that's closely related, uh, it's in a different genus, is the Paulus cat. Paulus cat. Paulus yeah. cat. We've got to do that one. The it's, grumpy cat, you mean? Yes. Yeah, and they the, look grumpy and they act grumpy. They uh, uh, John worked uh, them at the Lincoln Park Zoo, yeah. and I've been up behind the scenes. And they, I mean, they always have resting mad cat face. There's another word. <laughs> That we know that goes yeah. in after resting yeah. blank face. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but they're darling and they're darling and they uh but we'll need to cover that in the wintertime because they're more of a, a cold climate yeah. cat and uh but also one that not many people know about. So yeah, this podcast. We could just do just <laughs> cats. do cats for a long time. For, for a year. So fun. <laughs> each week. So fun. This week. Yeah. Uh, this week on the cat podcast. Uh mm-hmm. we probably are we, you know if we did that, our listership <laughs> We probably would, yes. We would get like a TikTok going and be like blowing up, blowing up. So tens of thousands will be like millions of cat podcasts. All right, there you go, people. If you want to start a 
podcast. Uh, there's your ticket, cats. Cats twenty four seven. All right. Now going into evolution. I'm sorry, I'm still giggling. Myocids. We go back 50, 55, 60 million years ago. The interesting thing about myocids is they looked civets, like civet-like, Martin-like, uh, you know. But then they split off about 40 million years ago, 42 million years ago, into the canids and the felids. So cats and dogs split off. And then, you know, the the cat, uh, they were more forest dwelling where the dogs went out more on the plains and, and deserts and arid, more arid regions. So the filiforms, it's interesting because every time we, I go down this dive thinking, oh, we should have lots of rich fossils. We don't with cats. We just really don't. Um, because of where they live, the, the bones just didn't fossilize well. So there are some gaps in the, the cat evolutionary tree, but we do know, you know, the earliest cats started emerging about 30 million years ago of like what we think of as cats, um, you know, and today's living felids, they all had a common ancestor about 11 million years ago in Asia. Then they migrated out to the Americas, Europe, and Africa. So remember, clouded leopards are so special. That was such a fun episode. That they yes. What number yeah. is that? In case people want to go back into the archives. Yeah, and I'll, I'll I will. It's episode two forty, Angie. Uh, clouded leopards, but I will at the end talk about some of the other ones too. <laughs> episode five, leopards. <laughs> Don't listen to that. Don't one. listen. Please. <laughs> Don't listen. Take to that it one. off the air. Let's read <laughs> that, it. All of a sudden, we're going to see this huge spike in episode five <laughs> downloads. Oh, my God. Oh, if we were in my office. Oh, it was bad. Yeah, the audio. Uh, anyways, the so Cloud of Leopards you know, split almost nine million years ago. And then you had the Panthera lineage. That's the big cats. And then the, the smaller cats uh, had a common ancestor about eight million years ago. And then they split out. So the fishing cat and the leopard cat are very closely related. Then the flat-headed cat and then the rusty spotted cat. And they've been evolving for, you know, the last 8 million years to probably the today's fishing cats, almost a million years emerged about that, a little less than a million years ago into what they were doing. And they'd been doing it great for a couple few hundred thousand years. Yeah, they were like, there's a lot of competition mm-hmm. on the ground for these rodents and birds and other small mammals. We're just we're just gonna go into the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Pretty cool. So the world's smallest kitty cat. Mm. That's not domestic. You know, maybe there are some domestics that are this small. But the smallest wild cat, which we're gonna have to do at some point, that you just mentioned that I think you said you you've seen this. The rusty spotted cat. Yes. So darling. Yeah, mm-hmm. so cute. You're so cute. So they are an amazing maximum length of 19 inches and about three and a half pounds. Like and, teacups. Yeah. And they live in India and Sri Lanka and a very, very large range. So stay tuned for the cat podcast. <laughs> we will do uh, maybe get to them at some point. But very, very cute. Very, very cute. Okay, so that's evolution of cats. Jumping into some facts. Lifespan, 12 years in the wild. Typical of our wild cats. Pretty fast, 34 miles per hour or 55 kilometers per hour. But like you said, they love to swim. 
they just love to swim. So some of the things that help them, Angie, that swim, the web feet, partially web feet, their heads are narrow, like you described it. So it's a little bit more aerodynamic to dive in the water. Uh, Semi-retractable claws. I mean, it's a cat. And we've talked a lot about cat physiology. I don't know if there's anything you want to add. Um, Makes them special. Yeah, well, I mean, I think their paws are cool that their claws basically extend a little bit past the sheath of the claw Mm -hmm. when they're retracted. So even when they're retracted, they're still out there a little bit, if you will. And researchers think that might be an adaptation to help them catch the fish when they're swimming, uh, as well as, of course, using their mouth. So, but webbish feet in a cat, that's pretty rad, right? Yeah, Uh, Yeah, yeah. And also their hair which I didn't really think about this, but depending on where they live, if they're up in the Himalayas or uh, just their wide range, the water can be cold. Mm-hmm. Or when you get out of the water, even if it's a moderate temperature, everybody you might be cold. And so their hair is made for this swimming lifestyle. And they have two layers. So the fishing cat's shorter layer is going to be pretty compact and dense and lay right against their fur. And it basically prevents water from reaching the cat's skin and thus keeps them warm. Yeah. Even if the water's really cold. And then the second type of hair they have is longer. And there are these guard hairs that protrude from the dense coat. And these guard hairs are what actually give the fishing cat the cool stripes along their back and the spots on the side. So their, their coat color pattern. So it's a pretty cool uh, adaptation to be able to get in the water and not get wet. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, on your skin, right? And, and yeah, feel yeah. it and then have it sit there and all of that. So pretty, pretty cool. Um, and another fun fact about fishing cats uh, with their swimming adaptations is just like your domestic house cat or any of the, any of the big cats, they have whiskers. But researchers think that their whiskers help them sense or detect fish the vi- or the vibrations of fish when they're in the water. Oh. Yeah, so it can help them narrow in on mm. how close the fish is. And so, yeah, a little bit different use. And, of course, whiskers in general are very highly uh, sensitive, lots of neurons, and they usually help help an animal feel like if they're a nocturnal animal, I think, which also is going to benefit uh, the fishing cat. But, yeah, the fact that they're using their whiskers or potentially using their whiskers in water to, to help figure out if there's fish in there or how close they are is uh is a really cool adaptation uh, yeah no that it's i watched a video on them fishing i can't wait till we get to behavior here in a second i watched like 10 videos <laughs> it was awesome maddox and I, well in maddox uh my 18 month old he's really into cats right now mm-hmm. and like domestic house cats my poor cat bear bear she's a snake <laughs> <laughs> like he comes at her like wanting to hug her with like two hands and like 20 pounds and yeah so She's a, she's a saint, but anyways, he loves cats, and so he. I start. I was watching some of these videos earlier today, just to. I mean, I had done all my research. I just mm-hmm. wanted to keep watching these videos, and he's just sitting there with me and just in awe and pointing, and then and then he actually grabbed. It was so cute. He grabbed his little cat stuffed animal, his domestic cat that was near him, and like made made the association that we were watching a cat on TV, mm-hmm. and then he grabbed it and was like, we were like, like so the cat and him and I were. Uh, watching watching the the youtube clip so yes anyway sorry sorry about the the sidebar (laughs) no 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 it was just really it was really precious like 
Maddox, so don't cute. bring Bear Bear to the bath. He doesn't want to go in there. No, well, Bear, yeah, Bear Bear. <laughs> she's she's teaching him a little bit though. Sometimes he sometimes uh, her claws come out and he gets mm-hmm. his feelings hurt. So Aww, we're, we're working Maddox. right now on gentle touch, gentle okay, touch, okay, and, okay. and Rainbow the dog is amazing and lets uh, Maddox be pretty rough with her. Yeah, and so yeah, yeah. he, I'm, but he, I'm working with him touching nicely but uh rainbow is different than a cat he she puts up a little bit more than uh <laughs> always <laughs> you know always, cat. Always yeah, everybody yeah. Know, everybody knows cats cats yeah. have attitudes yes they so, do they're awesome mm-hmm. uh all right so fishing cats uh what hunts them nothing really i mean you know maybe a tiger or something came across right. them, that's why i said apex predator there, there was this story about at some zoo i forget which zoo and how many years ago it was so don't quote me on it but a fishing cat escaped a zoo and got into a leopard enclosure and killed the leopard. Oh, he's <laughs> fishing cats. So, well, they're they are pretty aggressive. I mean, talking about what they eat, it, it, they're it, they, tough, man. Yeah, I mean, the bulk of the diet makes up fish, but they do prey on, like you said, rodents, civets, <laughs> fawns, right. pigs, goats, dogs, poultry. So, wow, Carrion, that's crazy. They, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But mainly fish, and then you know they will do like you know mollusks, frogs, snakes, anything that live in the river. They may hunt. Yeah, I found a cool study that looked at their scat, so their feces, and out of 144 piles, 109 contained fish. Uh, 39 had remnants of some type of bird. Uh, there, uh, 31 of them had a little bit of grass in there, right? Uh, 18 contained some type of insect. A uh, thirteen contained uh, rodents, and then there was also like eleven had a mixture of cows, rabbits, lizards, mollusks, and snakes. <laughs> oh, crazy! <laughs> and a leopard. Like that's nuts. Yeah. So definitely a generalist, uh, mm-hmm. and but once again, best described as a piscivore. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So behaviors, they are aggressive, like we just established. You know, very aggressive. Yeah, tough. They can They're tough. Be, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, with the fishing cat and their behavior, I think we have to. I wanted to dive a little bit more into their fishing behavior, right? Their actual mm-hmm, hunting mm-hmm, tactics. Mm-hmm. And so, there's a fair amount of observations of fishing cats either entering the water and hunting down fish, like scoop, scooping them out, or or waiting in bay by the water side, just waiting, 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 and then bam, uh, like ambushing them. If fish are in shallow water, there's documents of fishing cats almost like corralling them to like an easier spot where they can get them uh, to either like scoop them up with their paws or uh, uh, get them you know quicker with their mouths. And Chris, this next behavior almost blew me out of the water. There are observations of fishing cats basically like gent- tapping the water very gently, the surface of the water. And what ends up happening is the fish think it's an insect, right? Because fi- fish are also hunting their food items. Thinking it's an insect that's making disturbing the water at the surface, the fish go towards it and then wha-bam. The so smart, yeah. Very, very smart yeah. using their paw to... It's like almost like a fishing reel, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fishermen yeah. put insects on. I mean, they're they're like that's their next Life step. Fly fishermen, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so 
Uh, they so yeah they they can catch them in the water while they're swimming. They mm-hmm. dive. Uh, I mean, it's just it's really incredible. And I and I think you watched some of the videos as well. But uh, I think it was the Cincinnati Zoo or San Francisco Zoo. One of them put a GoPro in the water, and uh, and showed clips of fishing cats diving in for their food. And you can really see the adaptations of their like their streamlined bodies, and then also how their ears lay back flat to prevent water from going in there, and just how accurate they are at getting these fish, these moving fish, uh, uh, hunting them and getting them, bringing them out of the water. These are big fish. Like they're not catching little minnows. They are catching, yeah, pretty good sized fish. Yeah. So, and also in zoos, it's been observed with fishing cats that they'll sometimes take their meat that they're given rather like they're, they're just given like cow flesh or something like that. And then they'll actually drop it in the water, let it maybe play around with it a little bit or whatever, and then retrieve it out. Always cats always. So yeah, more. yeah. They don't know. Researchers don't know if it's like a washing behavior or like a hunting behavior or something. Uh, but uh, it's just. I mean, this it's just incredible to see how they how they move and how they utilize their paws and their teeth and the coordination is just quite incredible. I just. I, I'm gonna. I could have talked to Jesse and see if they do put fish. In with their fishing cats for enrichment. I think, you know? yeah. I mean, I think it's a great idea yeah. for enrichment. I mean, you yeah. feel a little bit bad for the fish, of course, but if that's what they're raised for. Um, so, yeah, it'd be an interesting question to ask because, once again, they're not housed at a lot of, of zoos, yeah. but there are some. So that'll be your homework for this next week. All right, and, then you all can, right, all right. and then you can uh, get us some nice uh, social media videos of them. Yeah, I will I will get to the zoo uh, soon, very, very soon, to try to get down this week at some point. And then I should also mention that a lot of this fishing behavior is done at the nighttime. So it's believed in the wild that fishing cats are primarily nocturnal. But we don't know a ton about their behavior because we, they're, it's thought that they're nocturnal. So there is, I did find some cool videos of them fishing a little bit at nighttime uh, that people have been able to get. Uh, but yeah, so they're doing all this too. In, think, in the dark. <laughs> I mean, well, we we know they have superior eyesight, night vision than us. So I'm wondering if it's like because the fish during the day they can see a predator, so maybe the fish are just less aware of sure. what's above the water because it's at night in the dark yeah. and they can't see. Well, it'd be really fascinating to yeah. do a study like with really specific times of hunting observations in the mm-hmm, wild. Mm-hmm. Like, is it uh, during dusk and dawn? Is it you know when it's pitch black, like out, uh, or is it sometimes during the day? So, yeah, I, I, I mean, there still needs to be a lot explored. But regardless, they're uh, they're incredible hunters, and then fishing cats, as their name suggests, are incredible swimmers. So uh, they can swim long distances, even in deep water. As I mentioned, they definitely dive. Like they're not shy to pursue their prey underwater. And that tail that Chris and I talked about in the beginning that looks a little bit different to the eye because we're used to long tails on cats or really, really short tails like a bobcat. This one's like in the middle. But for the fishing cat, they use it as a rudder in the water. So they don't need it. Yeah, they don't need it for balance like a lot of the other big cats are like leopards that are jump, you know, bringing gazelles up into trees and stuff like that. Uh, They use theirs as more as a steering rudder in the water. So really, really fascinating. Uh, As far as their social behavior, fishing cats are pretty much solitary. 
Uh, most cats are, except for which one's not solitary, which one of the, the big ones? That, what, the lions? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm living prides. So lions yeah. are not, lions, lions are very social. They love their families and their prides, but a, most other cats are yeah. solitary. Yeah, and cheetahs, so, what, cheetahs will sometimes group up, the males and stuff. The, but yeah, the females, bachelor. Not the females. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Pumas don't. They don't. Yeah, no. Yeah, clotted leopards don't. Yeah, every cat. They just don't want to be messed with. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> so funny. But I always remember yeah. at the zoo hearing people like, oh, I feel so bad for that tiger. Like, it's alone. And I, and, and I would just, if if they seemed willing, I would just try to to let them know like, oh, that, no, that's actually their ecology. Like they, they want to be alone unless it's, unless it's breeding season. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's better if they're alone. They're happier if they're alone. Mm-hmm, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's part of their natural history. And so mm-hmm. uh, fishing cats are thought to be the same way, except for, of course, um, a mother uh, rearing her young. And just like your cat at home, the fishing cat definitely loves to scent mark all over the place. So they're going to, identify their home range to other cats and animals in the area by uh, head rubbing, chin rubbing, cheek rubbing, neck rubbing, and then spraying urine. So all of that is going to leave their, their pheromones and their scent uh, all over the place, letting, letting others know either to stay away or if it's, uh, if it's time to breed uh, that are females and estrus that like, Hey, you're in the right spot. Right. Uh, and I love a lot of the cats do this, but in order to better understand the pheromones that are being released by especially a female and estrus, uh, fishing cats will perform the, the Fleming behavior. And that's that are one of Chris and I's favorite behavior from horses where I first learned about it, where they curl that front lip up and it's not as prominent, of course, in a cat, uh, but they, they basically raise the upper lip as high as they can to help open up the vermano-nasal organ, which helps all those odor molecules bind to the receptors faster. So it acts kind of as like a funnel to get get those molecules up in the nose so it can help the brain register like, oh, that's a female in heat or, ooh, that's a male's territory. I shouldn't go over there. Now, we started off with <laughs> this barking bush dog, what I thought, no, uh, fishing cat vocalizations. Uh, that was crazy. Why yeah. is it so different? Well, I mean, I I think it's just one of the ways to communicate. So what we opened up with was a male talking to a female. And I'm not sure if she was an estrus, but he was definitely interested in her according to the um the the keeper, the zookeeper chat on the video. So it's there it's not they're not a very vocal cat like if you think of how a lion roars and the tigers with their chuffing and their vocalizations but they definitely can make that call uh, that's like a barking dog they have also a vocalization that's like a little bit low uh, gravelly almost like bleat if you will uh, some describe another noise as like a chuckling sound so yeah and then of course, one of my favorite videos that Maddox and I watch prepping for this uh, podcast, they purr. And there's Mm -hmm, a beautiful mm -hmm. video put out, I think by BBC or National Geographic, showing the first time uh, wild fishing cat kittens go to the water and they're they're purring. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So the purr, of course, is a a very affectionate sound. 
or I, I guess research, there's still, that's probably a different podcast for a different day. Mm-hmm. We associate it with it being um, a happy, happy sound, yep. a content sound. And obviously it is, but I think the physiology of why exactly they're doing it uh, or why they evolved to do it, that still is up in the air for debate. Some people, I remember reading once, somebody, uh, there was speculation that it boosts their immune system or mm-hmm. something. So, uh, because they will sometimes do it like after surgery or and stuff like that. So, anyways, once again, we could do a whole podcast on cats. So yeah, <laughs> maybe some other day, right? Yep, yep, yep. All right, before we jump to repro, quick break. Uh, and we're back. <laughs> All right. Purring, we we, we assume it means happy, yes, but does yes. it have anything to do with repro? <laughs> uh well, Chris, how about this? Uh not that. It's not that's been reported in the scientific literature, but uh, that doesn't really say a lot because there is not a ton of research done in the wild. A lot of what we do know is from them being housed under human care. Uh, so what this thought is that fishing cats do breed yearly uh, during the months of January and February. So there's some seasonality to it. However, there's been observations of them breeding in June. So it does probably maybe depend a little bit on uh, the latitude uh, and the area that the cat's located. But when it is time to breed, so when a female uh, is an estrus, he's going to be attracted to a female by her being an estrus. And so mm-hmm. some of the things she's going to do when she's an estrus is she's going to yowl and make noises as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Yowls, screeches. I don't know if they bark like the same way that um, the male fishing cat does. So if anybody listening out there is a keeper working with fishing cats, definitely let me know if the females make those crazy sounds as well. But I think we need more, uh, more research into that area. However, similar to our domestic cats uh, that are in estrus, uh, a female fishing cat will show signs. So when she's receptive and, and high estrus, she is, besides vocalizing, she will be rolling around on the ground, presenti- uh, presenting herself to the male, highly receptive of any male's attention. Uh, and of course, I'm sure the pheromones are extremely high and the male can understand understand what she's, uh, what she's signaling. So anybody that's seen a cat in estrus, you will not soon forget it. <laughs> It's, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. And once a male finds a female and breeds her, the gestation period for a fishing cat is pretty short. It's only about 63 days. And the female fishing cat will give birth to one to four kittens with an average litter size of two. The kittens are teeny tiny. They weigh anywhere from hundred to 170 grams at birth and their eyes are closed. And of course they're completely dependent on mom. Their eyes open after about two weeks and they'll start to play in the water and practice with solid food when they're about two months old. But typically a fishing cat kitten won't be weaned until about six months old. And yeah, uh, close to nine, 10 months, they're pretty much full grown. And researchers believe that probably shortly thereafter, uh, they, they reach sexual maturity. So they're in the video I watched, I watched the plane in the water as like a month old or a little bit over a month old. And it's the cutest thing ever, like ever. Yes. Yes. We'll have to put these videos on our show notes. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. It's fantastic. Uh, They're just, yeah, they're precious. Uh, And 
The other cool thing that I read is that in general, the uh, female does most of the care, but there are observations under human care and captivity that um, males have been observed helping females care for and rear the young. Oh, okay. Now, we don't know if this is what happens in the wild. There mm-hmm. has not been a report of that in the wild, but there aren't a lot of reports in them in, wi- in the wild about their behavior. Uh, in the scientific databases, there's a fair amount of research about their habitat, habitat loss, where they live, trying to figure out how many of them are there. But uh, as far as behavior comes, we definitely in the wild, we definitely need more of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I have to give a big shout out to uh, zoo researchers because this is an example that Chris and I have talked about why zoos matter and why we should care about accredited good zoos that are working for species survivals because a lot of what researchers learn about uh, endangered animals under human care can be used to help them out in the wild, right? A lot of it is just basic biology that we don't have or don't know. Uh, and so if we can learn about that, observing them in under human care, then we can take some of that information to help make plans for how to help save them in the wild. And so, and so this week I have to give a big shout out to one of my mentors and my dear friends, Dr. Rachel Santemeyer. Uh, she put out a paper, uh, studying, fishing cats. And she studied the reproductive gonadal sterogenic activity of the fishing cat studying their poo. So she did. Yeah. She does every year. She's the the poo lady. So she uh, uses uh, their feces to uh, study the hormone activity uh, and what's going on and just learning just a little, just a little bit about uh, when they're either Mm -hmm. high estrogen or when they release a estrogen related hormones like luteinizing hormone mm-hmm, and the mm-hmm. surge uh, that re- that helps with ovulation and so uh, one question that they were trying to answer is whether or not uh, fishing cats were spontaneous ovulators or induced ovulators and we've talked about this on the podcast before but a spontaneous ovulator is like us humans like we are going to ovulate once a month mm-hmm. no matter what mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but spontaneous ovul or or I should say or if you're a dog, you're going to you're gonna ovulate just once, maybe twice a year. Or a horse, you're going to only ovulate every 21 days during uh, the breeding season, during the long days. Induced ovulators sit back and wait basically until there is some sign that it is go time. And usually it's from actually being bred. So the mechanical actions of being bred by a male creates the surge of GnRH, the gonadotropin releasing hormone, which then helps LH luteinizing hormone help release the egg. Uh, so a lot of cats are induced ovulators. Now, what Rachel and her colleagues found in this paper in 2011 by addressing literally the poop, so they didn't even have to handle a cat or anything like that, completely non-invasive, the cats just did their own thing and had fun. And what they found is spontaneous ovulation in the female fishing cats happened about 57% of the time. So whether or not ovulation is induced or spontaneous makes a really big, huge difference for artificial reproductive technologies or art. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to save an endangered species like fishing cats and other felids, 
if you have some of these technologies to help uh, artificially inseminate a female, you got to know when to do it, right? You got to know when to put the semen in the female's reproductive tract. And so uh, there has to be an egg either there waiting for it or coming down the pipes real soon. Mm-hmm. So a lot of this now, a lot of this basic biology uh, that Rachel and her team were working on and learning is trying to understand their physiology so that they can uh, take it to the next step and help them out either with AI or art techniques. Because some of those techniques are starting to be able to be used like in clouded leopards and other endangered cats to help get the numbers up, uh, help them get pregnant, help these cats get pregnant, keep the pregnancy, uh, whether they're supported by hormones or not. Uh, I'm not sure. It's probably on a case-by-case basis. And then have kittens and thus increase the population of these endangered species. So this work is super important and hats off to her. She always does great work and is trying to learn more about their basic biology that then can really help later on down the road of these captive animals that they can then help hopefully later down the road for their wild counterparts and for their numbers and ideally someday to potentially be re-released and do rewilding and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we don't know this background knowledge, we, we can't we help, cannot help them. Manage, even, yeah, we yeah, can't help manage them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean even even just so it does, you're right, it does go a lot into how to how to help save these species and tip my hat to her. She's the one that that really inspired you early on in your career. Yes, uh, to go she down saw, the track that you do. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, she she saw my in, my interest and love of physiology and behavior. And as a zookeeper, she's like, "You can keep doing that. It's super awesome, and I love that you do that. But if you want to come in my lab and pipette some stuff, and yeah, then, <laughs> it was the end, like end of story. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Down to get your own PhD. Yeah, but you interviewed her in episode twenty two, talking about the black footed ferret. Yes, Chris, I'm actually trying to get her to take me out on um, a black uh, black footed ferret. Um, uh, research study that they do. She usually goes out there once or twice a year and does like monitoring and recapturing and uh, That'd be awesome. making yeah. making sure that the rewild population of uh, black-footed ferrets is like healthy and um, maintaining. So I'm like, ooh, take me. And she's like, you know, it's all nighttime work. And I'm like, okay, maybe not this year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, soon, yeah. yes. I'm like, I want to I follow you out there and and, uh, and check it out. It's got the grueling work that these scientists do. They're doing it yeah. volunteering uh, mm-hmm. on their own, but I, I would love to uh, be a part of it, maybe even document some of it for uh, other people to just learn that these conservation heroes, man, there are so yeah. many good people out there yeah. fighting for a lot of these carnivores. Yeah. And and the good news is, is uh, there's a lot of people uh, fighting for fishing cats, which that may, I mean, countries in general, as you mentioned, India and Nepal and stuff mm. like that. So um, just, yeah, there's a lot of hope out there. Yeah, no, I mean, when, when there's only 3,000 left, you know, so the stuff you were just talking about is so important to know. And, and like you said, there's not a lot known on behavior because imagine trying to find them out in the wild. And really, the the number one threat is just habitat destruction of the wetlands. Uh, more than fifty percent of the Asian wetlands are are faced with uh, high degrees of of extinction or disappearing. You know, they're getting bulldozed. And you know, for agriculture or hunting, woodcutting, fishing, all sorts of things are affecting them. And then also, you know, they are being captured and sold in Myanmar markets still. 
So it's been documented uh, throughout Myanmar that uh, fishing cats are being sold uh, for the illegal pet trade. So who's out there fighting for them? You said they're, they're they are in their in their native habitats. Yeah, I mean, definitely there's a lot of legislation to protect them over their native range. So that is awesome. And then there are definitely NGOs out there trying to slow habitat destruction uh, and get local villagers on board that these are, yeah, these are our friend and not our foe uh, and trying to get villagers involved in local livelihood programs uh, to, to earn money in other ways besides destroying their habitat or destroying the cats themselves. So one, uh, one group that I wanted to highlight that's really working towards fishing cat conservation is the fishing cat conservation Alliance group. And they can be found at fishingcat.org. And they of course are on social media. So if you just search fishing cat conservation Alliance, give them a like and a follow, uh, they keep their page updated and there's just beautiful pictures. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm laughing now at how I describe them. I did not do them just, just justice, but beautiful photos. And the mission of the fishing cat conservation Alliance is to conserve fishing cats in their natural habitats within their geographic range by working with local partners around the world to identify and mitigate threats to these species. And they do this by partnering with several different groups uh, in India, in Sri Lanka, in Nepal, uh, Bangladesh, Myanmar, Pakistan, Cambodia, Java. So they're really reaching across the aisle and having tons of partner projects that are all fighting for the fishing cat, uh, whether it's through uh, habitat restoration, education, science, conservation. So yes, give them a like and a follow at fishingcat.org. No, oh, yeah, definitely. It's 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 all part of the 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 videos I was watching was was some of the work they were doing. So um, again, amazing work going on out there. And if you love cats, <laughs> we've done some uh, episode five leopards. Don't go listen to that. But you can start at episode fifty three lion. So that was early on. Uh, a lot of surprising facts about lions that you may not know. Episode eighty three and eighty five tigers. We had to do two parts on them. Still tons to cover in tigers. So we could maybe revisit them in the future. And then there was uh, episode eighty two Sonardo, who's out there in Java. Uh, setting camera traps who we uh, an amazing interview angie did episode 102 cheetah 153 jaguars 240 clouded leopards 257 eurasian lynx 263 snow leopards and we still have a bunch to go yeah we can't forget episode 92 with um katie from carolina tiger rescue yes always always yep, that was a it. really fun one as well really learning about uh the difference between a good sanctuary and a bad sanctuary and some of the issues that uh, uh, tigers are facing uh, in the United States. Yeah. You know, and like I said, episode 267, 12 cheetah project. I mean, we, we love, love our cats. cats. <laughs> we do. We do. And everybody does. And 
Yeah. You know, it's because we relate to them because we've domesticated them and, and they're part of, or they domesticated themselves, I think. And now, there you go. Well, I yeah. think they, domest- now, now, they domesticated themselves and now yeah. they're domesticating us, right? Yeah, <laughs> still. <laughs> I'm, but, I'm looking at my bear cat. That's yeah. her nickname. She's like on her back, on the middle of my bed. Yeah. And you know, when I go to sleep, I'm not going to like move her. Like I'm going to no. move a- like around her. Like, yeah, don't you I- dare. Yeah, yeah, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare touch her. Yeah. So anyways, another great episode, Angie. Uh, stay tuned. We've got some fun content coming your way. We are busy behind the scenes working uh, to, to line up some really amazing interviews. Uh, we're going to finish out the year and probably rolling into, into 2023. Some amazing conservation stories that we're going to be telling you as we keep covering these species. So keep those emails coming. Uh, contact us on Instagram, Facebook, our Facebook group. Please, you know, join us on social media. Let us know what species you want to cover, you want us to cover that we haven't yet, and we'll add them to our list. But yeah, great episode, Ange. Yes, thank you everyone for listening, and we appreciate you caring about these animals, sharing this information, your conservation efforts at home, uh, locally, globally, and yes, just uh, it's, it takes a village, and we appreciate your time and your energy. Listen, learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com